Well, good morning, church. It's a great privilege to be with you this morning. As John said, my name is Shabu. I have the great privilege to be one of the pastors here at Canterbury. And it is an interesting season. Uh, this season in our state, in history, and the world. And I look forward to the year ahead and, and saying, coming back and looking at the pictures and saying, oh, do you remember that time uh, that when the virus was all happening? This morning, as we live stream, uh, I want you to know this is specifically for our church family that called Canterbury Home. Welcome again. And maybe you're streaming in for the first time. You were looking for a YouTube channel on gardening and you came across Canterbury Gardens and you ended up here. I'm really sorry about that if that's disappointing to you. <laughs> See, normally we have three services we have 9 a.m., 10 30, and then we have uh, last Sunday of the month, a monthly service. The reason why we've chosen not to meet together besides following what our state requires, it's actually not an act of fear, it's an act of love. See, our church and community has more than 100 people. We wanted to love each other, and that's why we're not meeting. But also we're part of the 11,000 that we call Canada Gardens. It's right in the middle of it, so we want to love our neighbours. I guess one, one of our greatest desires is as a church family, as we come together through live stream, is this, that you will come to know the Jesus that we deeply love even in this season. And see, it's a reminder for those of us who belong to Jesus, that church is not in a building. The church is the people of God. And it happens this season, people are scattered lounge rooms, just wherever they are, watching, listening, considering. But you know what? Australia, this is normal for a lot of people around the world. Brothers and sisters who constantly do this. If you're checking in, we as a church have been going through the Gospel of John, and I considered, should we just do a a specific um, sermon based on our current situation in our world? Well, actually, in God's providence, He knew this was going to happen. And he ended up, we ended up landing in the passage that we were planning to preach anyway this Sunday. And I hope and pray that it will minister to you, whoever you are, whether if you're a follower or a skeptic. Now we know that as John, who's written this gospel, he's writing it to proclaim something. We've been exploring this over the last few weeks. We've been exploring that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, that's John's desire at the time when he was writing into the first audience, and also for us today, even in 2020, in this season. And so that means these words that Jesus says actually has implications for us. It carries weight. Because they're the very words of God. And so, as we come to this true story, look with me in the passage again. So Jesus has spent most of his time in ministry. He's been declaring very clearly who he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He's been showing the signs, showing his divinity, to get people to believe that he is the one that the, uh, the whole world has been waiting for. And here in this moment now, his focus, his mission is changing to what he came for, that is to die on the cross. And now things have changed. Jesus has pulled himself away from public ministry, and now he's intentionally starting in a sense of discipleship school, focusing on his disciples. 
in the last days before he goes to the cross. These people who are ultimately going to carry this message to the ends of the earth, eventually even here in Kilside. See, what we have in front of us before we jump into the passage, Jesus has shown beautifully what it means to be a leader that's a humble leader. There's that wonderful, powerful picture of Jesus going on the ground and cleaning the feet of the disciples with water. It shows a leadership that would have just totally blown away the minds of the disciples. He's saying a leader is not there to be served. Rather, like he said, he came not to serve, um, to serve, but, sorry, let me start again. He came to serve, not to be served. And that's ultimately shown in the wonderful picture on the cross. So, if you can imagine, they're having a meal uh, in a lounge room, maybe, like you can imagine all sitting together at the moment, wherever you are, and they're listening to Jesus now unpacking even more further teaching. And friends, what I want us to consider this morning is two things. The idea of glory and what that means in verses 31 to 32. And secondly, the idea of a new command that Jesus gives in 33 to 35. Glory. Uh, if you have a pen or if you have a physical Bible or maybe even your phone, you can, I want you to highlight what the repeating words are as Jesus says in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now try to say that really fast. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Glory. See, here in this passage, in this moment, what John's trying to explain, what glory means, is to praise, to magnify, to honor, to to clothe someone with splendor. To, to cause dignity and worth on that person. It's a wonderful picture of what glory means. Now, I'm not sure what kind of images come to you when you think of glory. If you've watched the AFL this weekend, it's probably been the most weirdest thing to watch. When players are running around and there's nothing, there's no noise, the commentators try to play it up, and it's just not glorious. There's no roar of the crowd. See, in this history moment that we're in, all the things that we thought were glorious are not glorious anymore. And we consider how frail the fragility of life. It's sad to think the most glorious thing that we think is glorious is when we found toilet paper at the supermarket. See, in this moment, Jesus is trying to declare something. He's saying what we think is glorious is not what he thinks is glorious. Jesus actually says what he wants to display is a glorious lifestyle, but something that's totally opposite, one that comes at cost. And he's actually showing what true glory looks like. True glory looks like a servant who's willing to serve, one who's willing to wash the disciples' feet. And here in this moment, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to know what it means to be glorified, guess what? I've already been glorified. My Father already loves me. And I will be glorified again on that cross when he dies. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, rather than you looking to glorify yourself, look to glorify someone else. And in the context, he's ultimately pointing to him, glorifying me. This is what true glory is about. This is the Christian call as a disciple. 
And with that as a foundation, we come into this moment when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. See that in verse 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, but all these people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Uh, friends, let me ask you a question. If you uh, thought about this question, the question is this. If someone asks you what is one of the most essential things about being a follower of Jesus, what kind of things might come to mind? I know if someone asked me that, I used to say things like, going to church. Uh, it's going to be a bit difficult these days, isn't it? Things have changed. Maybe some of us think that being a disciple or a follower of Jesus means just being a good person. Some of us might be like, no, it means that I believe in Jesus. Wonderful. Maybe you're someone who's skeptical to the Christian faith. And you're listening in today and you think, well, you Christians think that you're better than me. You Christians think ultimately a good Christian is someone who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't sleep around. What if I said to you, Jesus doesn't talk about those things in this moment? He actually talks about what it means to be a disciple. He actually sets it aside and says there's an essential foundation of what it means to be a follower of mine. What is that essential thing? How you love each other. So, the question, what's love got to do with it? That's my dad joke for today. Now, here in this moment, Jesus is not talking the kind of love that we might assume, you know, the kind of notebook movie kind of love, or those love songs and whatever else we might imagine and conjure in our mind. The word here is to say that you're so deeply fond of something or someone that you're willing to content and die for them. This is the kind of love Jesus is saying to his disciples that he, I want you to display. But notice how Jesus says it. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, this is if you want to. A new commandment I give you. It's not an option. Now, the idea of commandments may seem a little bit distant and archaic for us. Uh, but the reality is we've got a lot of commandments going on right now. How to wash your hands. Uh, how to blow your nose. How do you meet? Uh, what else is going on in the current state? There is good commandments given to us for our good, for our society. Here in this, for the disciples, when they're hearing this idea of commandments, automatically their brain's sticking away. And what Jesus is saying, is saying, my very words of the new commandment to say to love one another hold the same weight because they have authority. They are my words. And these words are the same way as the commandments that you guys have grown up with all your lives. But those commandments are the Old Testament commandments. It's a powerful statement by Jesus to say that his words, his commands have the same weight. But what he's saying is remember those commandments, those commandments that God gave to the people of Israel was there for a purpose. God said these are actually good for you. If you do them, they will go well for you. But you know the other reason why you live according to these commands that I've given you as a people? Because so that the nations around you will know that I am your God and you're my people. And here in this moment, Jesus is saying that, extending it out. And he's explaining to his disciples 
a new commandment I give you, the reason why, yes, this will be for your good, but in doing so, see that in verse 35, the world may know that you are my disciples. My friends, for us to understand this, how is this even possible? We need to step back. We need to consider something. See, in verse 34, you see to be a disciple and to love others. This is not a kind of love that says, oh, I better try harder because that's what Jesus says so. No, it's because you and I, if you're a disciple, have been captured by a great love in our own hearts. Because of that love. And this is why we're then called to love one another. It means that we've experienced the greatest love in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And this is why we love, not for our own sake, for our own gain. We love because Jesus loved us. In that, the world will see that we belong to him. And you know what? This kind of love is not not thought out love. It's not thoughtless love. Neither is it a try harder kind of narrative, like I said. What it's saying is to love others because Christ loved us first. It's a calling, it's a way of life because we've been captured in our hearts by a greater love displayed by Jesus Christ on that cross. A guy by the name of Scotty Smith who wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John said this. This confirming sign of discipleship is not a badge of our commitment to Jesus, it is rather the beauty of Jesus' commitment to us. Discipleship is not a program which we sign up for. It's a whole new way of life for which we have been raised up for. See, in this moment, Jesus says, love one another. This is a command by Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you know what? Even in this season of the history of the coronavirus, It's not an option if you know Jesus. Actually, this is probably one of the most beautiful times that we as Christians have been given by God. To display to a world who's nervous, anxious, worried, that we can display the love of Christ as we love one another. To show them what Jesus has done. So they don't actually see us. They see Him. The one who came into this world. To die on the cross for you and for me. Friends, also understand this kind of love is not just loving those that we like to love. This kind of love is to be displayed in the people that ultimately, Jesus is saying, love those that I love. Love those that I love. See, and throughout the Gospel of John, it's filled with stories of people that Jesus was constantly getting in trouble with. People would say, don't touch them, don't talk to them. But Jesus displayed love to them. This is because that's the call and command to you and I. And friends, it is a costly command. It is coming with a cost. But you know what? Has that cost not been paid? That cost has been paid on that cross by Jesus Christ. And all along, Jesus has been saying to his disciples, friends, if you're going to be a follower of mine, a disciple of mine, I'm not expecting you to have it all together. I want you to look at me and my love for you, and because of that love, one another. And this is a costly love, a love that was displayed to us fully on by Jesus on that cross, where Jesus actually died, not just for his friends, 
but for his enemies too. People like you and me. So this love one another is a command that's been given to us for those of us who know Jesus. But first for us to love one another, we need to be constantly gripped by Jesus' love day by day. When that goes deeply into our souls, through the Spirit of God, He changes us to love those that He loves because He first loved us. There's an author, a church father by the name of Jerome, who wrote a commentary on Galatians. And he talked about John, the evangelist, the guy who wrote John um, Gospel. And this is what he said. The blessed John, the evangelist, lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing, but little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance, annoyed because they were always heard the same words, finally said, Teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. John himself was captured by this love. His whole life was shaped by it. And that is our call if you know Jesus. So what does it look like to love each other in this season in history? Well, friends, in the season of social distancing and the variety of things that have been put in for our good, we can still love them. John's already shared and alluded to those things. You know what this is for a season? A season in where Jesus is Lord. He's not stuck in some building. He's already loving people, always has and always will, and then he's calling us to join in with him. So I want us to consider these things. Firstly, reach out. What does that mean? You know, it's interesting, the virus and stuff came in during the season of social media, phones, emails, and the variety of things that are available to us, like I'm live streaming on YouTube right now. Imagine if it was a different season in history. Because of all these things, we can actually redeem those things to love one another. Maybe that means there's someone that you know that you can send an SMS to. Maybe that's sending a message through Messenger. Maybe it's messaging and saying, hey, can I give you a call and talk to you? Maybe it's using the various video conferencing tools that we have available to us to conference call each other and pray for each other. You know what? The other thing you might need to consider is cry out. One of the things that Aussies are very good at is saying, I'm fine. I was talking to my neighbour the other day and I asked how they're doing and they said, I'm fine. But in reality, they weren't fine. We had an opportunity to minister to them. See, in this moment, what we need to learn to say is, I'm not fine. I need help. Can you help me? The other thing to do is to look out for one another. To look out means, well, it just might mean like looking out for each other. What are the needs that we have in our church family? Um, some of these things are already happening on our social media page. Where someone says, I've bought this extra thing. Who else would like this? What are other ways that we can keep on saying, look out? And friends, finally, because of this love that's captured our hearts, how do we look out for those who have not experienced this love yet? Men and women who are nervous. 
Men and women are not as much as about nervous. Men and women who have businesses and companies that they run who may lose jobs. So look out for them. Both speak and show the love of Christ. Children, Jesus has given us a new commandment to love one another. So let's do that, not for our sake, for our glory, but for our Saviour's sake and glory. Let me pray. Jesus, we come before you, we bow at your feet. We lay before you all the things that are causing our hearts to be distracted. Help us to be wise. Help us not to live in fear. And help us to love one another so the world may see that Jesus Christ still reigns forevermore. In your name.